0: We've got a good show for you guys today. Obviously, you've got the Game 2 win last night in Houston to talk about. I was there, jumped on a 5 5 a.m. flight uh, this morning to come back here to Salt Lake. It's been a lovely travel day, Uh, but I want to talk about that game break it down, what happened for the Utah Jazz, what changed between games one and game two, what Houston will come out with with game three tomorrow, and a whole bunch of different issues surrounding this Jazz Rockets series. Of course, if you've got any questions, please uh, call us. You can call us at 877-353-0700. We'll take your calls and questions at any point during the show. You can also tweet us, again, at Andy B. Larson, at JP underscore Chunga with your questions. Uh, we do have two guests on the show I want to make sure we we point out. Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune, friend of the show, friend of the program, friend of the station even, uh, will join us at 7.30. Dan Clayton, associate editor for Salt City Hoops, uh, brilliant jazz mind, will join us in the 8 o'clock hour. All told, a lot to talk about after that game, too. JP, what was your level of surprise, first of all?
1: Level of surprise? I'd say... For going on a 10 scale, I'd go probably 7 or 8, honestly. Okay. I was pretty surprised by this result, and I was surprised by how lackadaisical the Rockets had come out in the game. Yeah. That being said, I mean, D'Antoni talked about it after the game. They were lackluster against the Timberwolves, but I really didn't expect it in the second round of the playoffs them to start out so poorly and then having to close late and then things obviously went the Jazz's way. I was
0: curious if the game one comeback where you know the Jazz had a 27 point deficit and ended up losing that game by 14, cutting the lead to 11, all of that. I wondered if that would have shaken the Rockets to realize some of the things that they didn't do that well in the second half of game one. You know, I thought uh, in particular, the Jazz slipping screens uh, and messing up the Rockets switching system was uh, was really the key to their first half offense in, in Game 2. And they did it to some extent in Game 1. I remember I, I wrote about it in the, in the triple team that night as something that the Jazz could do more often to attack the switches. And in fact, they slipped nearly every screen. More often than not, not the Jazz didn't make any contact on these screens. It was just... Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors coming up to Donovan Mitchell or whoever was holding the ball, pretending to set that screen, putting that element of doubt in the Houston defenders, and then going directly to the rim. And then from there, it's you know when you when you almost set a screen like that, it's for for Harden and and Capella or whoever's guarding it. It's uh, all right. Did that screen really happen? Should we really switch? And when should we have switched? You know, in that play, and all of those different questions. Gives the Jazz a lot of wiggle room to find openings in the defense, and that's exactly what they did.
1: And they sort of figured it out in that third quarter, if anything, right? The Rockets, they they found themselves defensively in that quarter, but they just—I don't know why they didn't—they didn't discover it in the first because, I mean, D'Antoni again last night he talked about how yeah they did switch, they slip screens in game one, they just didn't convert on those opportunities, and then in game two they certainly did and and that was the difference
0: the other thing that that made those shots and those opportunities especially at the rim early you know you'll remember Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert got back-to-back dunks or layups you know uh, wide open layups uh in the first two possessions of the game was that the Jazz were doing a good job of looking off the defenders with their eyes because I think that's where you expect to send some help, but if Donovan Mitchell is staring for five straight seconds at Joe Ingles or whoever in the corner, then you don't, you know, then that defender is actually going over to help on the wing rather than helping in the lane, and you've got a wide open Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors there. Kind of that adjustment meant that the Rockets couldn't ad- adapt to those splits, or uh, those uh, those screens or those uh, slipped screens as quickly as they as they otherwise could.
1: Were you surprised by the pace? Because the pace surprised me. The fact that it was so fast comparatively to where the Jazz yeah. really want to play. The pace of I, the I game don't know. was I so think, fast. I, I think the
0: Jazz want to
1: play at this pace. Okay. Like I, I,
0: I, you're right that the Jazz have been, you know, for the last three years before this year, they were the league's slowest team. This year, I believe they were 25th. Yeah. Uh, and now you've got the, the Houston Rockets, though, are, despite what everyone thinks, not a fast team. They take a lot of time to actually go through their half-court sets, and a lot of them are isolation sets as well. So, uh, you know, they were they were thirteenth uh, in pace this year. But if you looked at the second half of the season, they slowed way, way, way down. Um, and so they'll attack in transition, but when you do stop them in the half-court, those possessions take a longer time. Uh, and so I, I thought it was to the Jazz's advantage, actually, actually, that the pace was as high as it was.
1: Really, I was I was taken aback because again I was going under that sure that, uh, past years. This is a slow team. This is the way they and want the to Jazz do
0: it. were slower than than the Rockets, but I think a lot of that is because of the defensive end where you're making every other team take long possessions.
1: Right. Yeah. No, you're. It's it's such a a rejiggering of what you're thinking yeah. in the playoffs Agreed. because. Against OKC, that's where you didn't even want to go fast. Agreed. 100%.
0: This is a very different series. Uh, And I think, you know, it it shows in the Jazz's approach to transition defense, the Jazz want to get back against the Rockets. But against the Oklahoma City Thunder, the, the number one priority was building a wall against Russell Westbrook. Against the Houston Rockets, the number one priority is not a wall. In fact, Quinn wrote "no wall" up on the on the whiteboard. Uh, it's about finding shooters in transition. So you need to get back, but it's just so you don't get Trevor Ariza, Eric Gordon, James Harding, Chris Paul wide open threes in transition. And I thought the Jazz did a good job of that. We've got a caller on the other line. What's the caller's name? Uh, Robert? Is that is that right? Uh, whoever it is, let's <laughs> Rob. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get you on on the line. Uh, you're on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Rob, are you there? Rob, we can't hear you. Can't hear Rob right yeah, now.
2: I was, uh, penetrating,
3: oh. getting into the lane. I thought Donovan Mitchell, despite his stat line, had such a huge impact on the game because when they're getting that deep into the paint, it seems like they were either getting fouled or a lob or a wide-open three. And so I'm going to be interested to see what adjustments Houston makes. And then one thing I'm curious, too, is uh, – we saw this a lot last year when Chris Paul's on the Clippers. That sweeping move that they do out of the three-point line to draw the
0: foul—I
3: mm-hmm. thought it was in, like, in the rule book that it has to be a natural motion—and they were trying to do away with that. You think that's going to keep getting called because that's super, super frustrating to watch.
0: Yeah, so I—I I, I know what you're talking about. That—that that below the below the waist wipe-through play. Uh, and, and so what I think people misunderstand that what the league changed with that is rather than they're saying that's no longer a shooting foul. So it's not that that's not a foul anymore. If you know you're if your defender is reaching in and you rip your hands through that's still a foul on the defensive player, but it's no longer you can't go through that arm and then up with the shot and then you can't you don't get three points anymore. It's just a foul on the ground um and when James Harden did it in the second quarter uh the Jazz were already in the penalty and so that's why he got the shots
1: i was going to say yeah that i was going to bring up that very play because that's probably where he he got confused where he did he did that move and then they go to the to the free throw line but yeah it was because of the, they were already in the penalty
0: that being said that play where like he, he comes off the screen and then jumps into the screener and shoots the three that's still being adjudicated as like a three point shooting attempt and that's, that, to me, is a more obnoxious play than the rip-through down low now that that's been kind of uh, nerfed by the league a little bit in terms of it's only just a regular foul on the ground. It's not a shooting foul anymore. But to address Rob's first point about Donovan Mitchell, he's absolutely correct.
1: The Kobe effect.
0: No, this is not the Kobe <laughs> effect. Honestly, if you Kobe's detail video was fantastic, yes. and I'd recommend everyone go out there and watch it. Uh, what Kobe said to do was was not what was happening in game two. I mean, I think there were some things where Donovan Mitchell was more physical on the perimeter and getting the ball in his spots in a much better way. Those kind of things were re- were real. But in terms of like Rudy Gobert wasn't posting up Trevor or PJ Tucker, you know, and and dunking at the rim over PJ Tucker, it was more about getting him one on zero opportunities at the rim not one on one uh and then in terms of Donovan Mitchell's scoring ability you know i i don't think it was i don't think he got the the best scoring looks that he's gotten in the playoffs this year it was that he was manipulating the defense with his eyes to find open teammates so when you have a, a help situation where a defender has to choose between Derek Favors and and Joe Ingles uh, Donovan Mitchell would stare down Derek Favors and find Joe Ingles wide open in the corner uh, and maybe a no-look pass there. Or he would do, in the first two plays of the game, he did the exact opposite thing, stared at Joe Ingles on the wing for that co- that corner three and Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors are wide open for layups and dunks in the paint. I thought Donovan Mitchell had a phenomenal game in game two despite the six for 21 shooting. Uh, it was really the key to why the Jazz's offense worked so well but, you know, quite frankly, I, I thought it was for different reasons than Kobe may have prescribed in game one.
1: And if you haven't seen the Kobe video, I mean, he was talking a lot about the post-ups. And I, I really don't think that's something that the Jazz should go for in this series. Because Houston, a team that is, is small, they face the most uh, post-ups this year of any team in the NBA and they've still been able to deal with it.
0: Right, because they switch so much yeah. the teams think, "Oh, okay, you've got James Harden guarding a, you know, Derrick Favors. This is an advantage. We, this is a matchup we can take advantage of." The truth is James Harden is like actually a decently sized uh decent one-on-one post defender as weird as that sounds. I know we all hate on James Harden's defense and I thought he wasn't good in game 2, but it wasn't his one-on-one defense so much as it was his off-ball help defense where he was falling asleep. Or messing up the communication on those switches we were talking about. In the post, he's more than capable. That's the kind of situation that you're not taking advantage of James Harden as a defender. And that's, you know, post up situations in the best of times are like one point per possession opportunities. You'd rather get Joe Ingalls corner threes, you'd rather get layups and dunks and, you know, roll attempts going to the rim. And, that's what the Jazz found last night. You, you know, 1 point per possession wouldn't have been good enough last night. You would have lost 104-108, right? You needed the 116
1: points to beat Houston. And you needed the bench to to do what it did. You yeah. needed you needed uh Alec Burks Dan, uh Andy Larson. You needed Alec Burks.
0: Uh Alec Burks had the most incredible quote after game 1 or after game 2. He which... was
1: he was pretty gabby after uh game 2 but impress me with game one quote.
0: Sorry, no, I, I meant game two. Oh, okay. I, right. I misspoke. Uh, I, he he did not say a lot of sentences, but one of the sentences he did say was, "I just make winning plays. That's all." I love that Alec Burks is saying that, and honestly, to his credit, he was great at making winning plays in game one, uh, game two. G- game two, he was fantastic. I mean, the Jazz, again, don't win that game without Alec Burks' contributions. I thought he did a great job of finding Joe Ingles in the corner. He had an assist there. Finding Rudy Gobert on the lob, he had an assist there. He was making the right plays, attacking in transition when he needed to. Uh, that was a-, a big part of why the Jazz did run so much was – was- alec burks attacking when he should have and then even better he didn't attack when he didn't have to that was it was so often we see alec burks and and dante axon does this too just drive into like three defenders and hope to get bailed out with a foul he didn't do that and maybe like a couple times in game two but honestly for 18 minutes of alec burks that's a great outcome Uh, I I love, or 22 minutes of Alec Burks, I should say. Alec Burks, 7 for 11, 63% shooting, 17 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists. 6 assists. Second most.
1: Second most on this team that game.
0: And he may have had three turnovers. Only a great hater like I would point (laughs) that out. Uh
1: and the three fouls. Uh,
0: three fouls is fine. I, oh, okay. I have no problem with with three fouls in twenty two minutes with with the players he was defending. You know, he, he's. Uh, I, I thought his defense was was not great, but it was it was adequate. And honestly, that's if he's giving you seventeen points in twenty two minutes on the other end, uh, that's big. I, I don't know that Alec Burks is the answer for this team. I think it's a pretty particular like matchup situation that, which is why he's excelling. Excelling is that. Again, the Rockets are a switching team and given that he can attack those guys when they're off balance, that's Alec Burks' game, right? Is attacking guys one-on-one and getting to the free throw line, getting to the rim and finishing. Um, But now that he's, he's mating, making the right play as well with those six assists, uh, maybe, you know, maybe he's got a case. He just makes winning plays. That's all.
1: That's all he does makes winning plays. That's a great quote. Plays folks. Uh, What was the other quote that he said?
0: Uh, the first thing he said was... I, I honestly don't remember. He said, it, two sentences he said two sentences in, in, so in the
1: entire press availability.
0: It's bad that I don't remember one of the two sentences. But, uh, yeah. And, he, and then we ended up asking Donovan Mitchell to talk about Alec Burks, since Alec Burks wouldn't talk about Alec Burks. AB, you just had the best game of your career. I mean, I, I know you've scored 30 points, and I know you've, you've had a better regular season game. Nothing else has been more important than what Alec Burks did in that Game 2 performance. You should, You should this is your time to sell your message to to the teams of the nba to people seeing you and and thinking about you and and your 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 contract uh situation after next year this is this is your time you could have made your case for yourself but that's just how ab is ab, AB does him uh and he's
1: he's chill and ab makes winning plays he does make winning plays Let's talk
0: about Dante Exum really quick Oh, yeah. uh, while we're talking about the bench. Dante Exum was incredible. I mean, the box score doesn't show. Here's three for seven, ten points, whatever. Uh, nine points. But he had, I thought, two of the biggest offensive plays of the game uh, with the two corner threes in the first half and the second half, especially the second half one, which uh, I believe got the Jazz the lead in the fourth quarter um that he is willing to take those shots rather than just pretend to take those shots and drive into the teeth of the defense is a big change from where he was in the Oklahoma City Thunder series where honestly he looked very afraid to shoot he can knock those shots down if he's in rhythm and and that's what he he was ready to catch the ball bouncing on his toes and and shot the ball in rhythm and that's that's great progress for Dante Axum and then the defense. Holy cow, the defense was good. Uh, Andy Bailey had the stat uh, at, from across the two games: Game One and Game Two. Uh, Dante Exum was the primary defender on James Harden on 26 possessions. James Harden scored two points in 26 possessions, and the Rockets overall scored what was it? I believe it's 17 points on those 26 possessions. That's great. You're you're turning the league's number one offense into one that doesn't have James Harden to rely on and then finds itself uh, having to struggle to to score with four-on-four with four kind of stuff, even with Chris Paul on the floor, who I thought was pretty iffy in game two. Uh, Dante, his ability to close down the airspace of James Harden and then exactly mirror what James Harden was doing with those dribble moves. Uh, Harden beats 90% of guys with some of those plays and, and Dante Exum for whatever reason doesn't get beat whether that's his length or just his his kind of physicality his linkiness he did have five fouls and and picked those up but you look at the success of those possessions and it's something honestly the the Rockets will need a better answer for in game two they did some switching of him you know they would try to force the Jazz to switch Dante Exum off of him and then James Harden attacked Donovan Mitchell but I don't know that that's a real good long-term answer for the Rockets.
1: Andy, you talked a lot about his defense, good for him. Congrats. This is great for him. 1 minute left. The best dunk of the game in my opinion, even better than than Donovan Mitchell's bunnies, Dante Exum's dunk. 114 to 105 puts the exclamation point on the game and is the perfect encapsulation of his day. He drove to the basket while also hitting a big th- two big three-point shots. Dante Exum's dunk at the end of the game icing on the cake.
0: I'll say that I I thought it was really smart how he faked to go to the half court, saw that they were ready for a trap there, and I think uh, some versions of Dante X and I'm not completely convinced that they're gone, uh, (laughs) would have dribbled into that trap and maybe cost the Jazz, and uh, you're only up six with 55 seconds left. Maybe that's a situation that can get you in trouble. But then he turns around, goes to the rim, and then attacks, uh, and obviously... Hits the flush. Uh I yeah, it was a great play.
1: Kevin Harlan, you weren't watching the broadcast, obviously.
0: I, I have seen the replay.
1: Oh. Harlan freaking out after the dunk. Perfect. Just what I need. The hammer. Ah, oh, Kevin Harlan's great. Do you have a Kevin Harlan impersonation?
0: Impression? Probably. Probably somewhere. <laughs> well well With we'll no you...
1: regard for human life.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I know. Exactly. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not your best.
1: I have better. <laughs> I could do <laughs> that's fair. I could do better, Jalen.
0: All right, we got.
1: We'll we'll let
0: JP work on his impressions of various <laughs> NBA commentators uh, during the break. But we do have to take a break. On the other side, we'll have uh, a quick talk about the other member of the, of uh, the Jazz bench. I want to mention Jay Crowder. Jalen Crowder, uh, had a great game as well. Um, and, and then also we'll talk to Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune, Utah Jazz beat writer. We'll get his insight on what happened in Game 2 and see what his thoughts are for tomorrow's Game 3 here in Salt Lake City.
4: Got my back against the wall. Try to scream, there's no sound at all. I'm stuck with nowhere to turn, but i To the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA, this is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
0: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson, J.P. Chunga joining you. As promised, I do want to talk about Jay Crowder at some point during the show, but it's come to my attention I've been ignoring the question you were sending in in uh, the first segment of the show Again, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at JP underscore Chunga to send in a question. You can also do like our caller Rob did in the first segment and call us 877-353-0700 with any questions you've got. Uh, I want to get to one right before uh, we talk to Tony Jones from the Salt Lake Tribune in this segment at 730. So coming up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I like this question from Josh Patterson at Josh Patty four. obviously the Rockets can play better. But did the Jazz play as well as they can, or can they improve as well? I'll give you my answer, JP. I think the Jazz can improve a lot. There are a lot of stats in this game that I wouldn't have thought were going to happen in a Jazz win in this series. The Jazz only forced 7 Rockets turnovers while having 17 themselves. That's way too many turnovers. The Rockets had 11 offensive rebounds while the Jazz only had 5. Uh, and so as a result the Rockets took 12 more field goals than the Jazz did and they got to the free throw line more often 27 uh, making 22 shots compared to only 15 for the Jazz those uh, okay one more stat Donovan Mitchell going six for 21 in a game that the Jazz won scoring only 17 points uh I, I don't think I would have seen those combination of statistics happen in a Jazz win and honestly that has to be a little bit scary for Houston
1: I think definitely this that Donovan Mitchell can play better. I think this is maxing out the bench, though. I think that, yeah, agree. That's that's as big as it gets. You're, right, you're for
0: probably not going to get a better Alex yeah. Burks game than what you got.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, and Dante Exum no. is
0: probably going to allow f- more than two points uh, guarding James Harden in the future. Let's go ahead and bring in Tony Jones uh, of the Salt Lake Tribune, Utah Jazz beat writer. Uh, so I I want to ask you this question. We just got on Twitter. Asking, do you think the Jazz played as well as they could have in Game Two? Obviously, the Rockets can play better, but do you think the Jazz can play better than they did in Game Two?
3: Um, I think they can play better. Um, I I think I think like you said, I think the uh, I think the uh, the foul shots even out a little bit. Um, I think the Jazz really turned the ball over a lot. Um, I mean it, there were some unsustainable lows and some unsustainable highs. Let's put it that way. So what's the truth? It kinda lies somewhere in the middle. So, you know, I don't think, you know, the Jazz aren't aren't going to keep turning the ball over like this and I and I think uh Donovan Mitchell will shoot better. But on the other hand I thought Donovan Mitchell played really, really well. Like yeah. he played about as well a game as 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 a guy that can shoot six or twenty one. Uh, could play, and he was sublime last night as a playmaker. So, you know, I, 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 I think that, you know, the stats can show you, uh, can make an argument either way. So depending on what color glasses that you have on, you can make an argument either way. So, uh, you know, uh, I do disagree with you vehemently on one thing. This mm. is not the apex for Alec Burks, okay? Okay. I let you know that.
0: What what okay, is man. what's the Maybe apex of Alec apex. Burks?
1: What's the rent on yeah. Alec Burks Island?
3: Yeah, I, I probably think last night was the apex of Alec Burks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Just being hopeful.
0: I I know. I you're you're a big A B guy, so I, I was curious if uh you know the the ceiling had, had risen in in your eyes.
3: No, no. I mean Alec Alec Alec, Alec what's so what do you have seventeen and six last night? Yeah. that's yeah, fantastic. And playing and and not going rogue within the offense to do it. that that's I mean, that was that was kind of unicornish, right? There. This
0: is a little bit of a test for a b is like, okay, you've got some confidence. You're getting some good pub. Now can you continue to play in this way? because we you know, we've seen that before is Alec Burks had a great week in December where he scored over twenty points in four straight games and really, was a huge catalyst for the Jazz offense, and then it all went away again. So, like, can he find that level of consistent good, uh, like he says, winning plays is is a big deal.
3: Well, the thing about it is that um, I think Houston can can prepare for Alec now. Yeah, that's true. Um, And, you know, I don't think that they, you know, he he was certainly not at the top of their scouting report. Let's let's put it that way. Um, So, you know, they'll give him a little bit more, uh, they'll give them a little bit more attention. The one thing I do think is sustainable, and if you're a Jazz fan, you got to be excited about this. Uh, I think that the Jazz found something defensively in terms of keeping Houston off the three-point line, mm-hmm. fighting over picks, like not just trailing screens, actually fighting over screens and, and staying attached uh, on the wings and, and basically making this a two-man game uh, with James Harden and Chris Paul, or or Chris Paul and Chris and Clint Capella, and I think that that's sustainable. And if the Jazz can truly sustain that uh, over over the next six games, then you know I think that they'll have uh, a, a good opportunity to put themselves in position to win some some more games uh, as as we head on into the series.
1: Tony Jones with us on ESPN seven hundred what has made them so effective in just not allowing those shots? Because if anything, the Rockets against the Jazz haven't been launching the like 43s against them. What is really limited the, the great shots that the Rockets have been able to develop?
3: Well, what, what they did was, okay. So, you know, if, if you go, ISO, oh, that's one thing, uh, just put a hand up and if they make it, they make it. If they don't, they don't. Uh, but if it's, if they're going two-man game, if they're going pick and roll, you don't pinch down from the wings, and you fight over the screen. So you fight over the screen, you run Harden off the three-point line, you concede the mid-range, and you drop Rudy Gobert to the basket, and you tell and, and you and you allow Harden to, to to try to finish over Gobert, or or crash a lob down at Capella. That's why you saw Clint Capella have a 21-point night last night because there was no help coming from. Uh, the weak side because the Jazz were were content on conceding twos rather than conceding wide-open Trevor Ariza threes or wide-open Ryan Anderson threes or wide-open P.J. Tucker threes. Um, And and what that did was, you know, towards the end of the game, when those guys did get open looks, they couldn't put them down because they weren't in rhythm. So, you know, I thought that was big, and, you know, I think that the Jazz – They know they have to give up something, so if they have to give up 25 points to Clint Capello or Lovs, then that's what they're going to do. That's 25 points by twos, not by threes, and threes are what really hurts you and not twos. So, you know, I thought it was a good game plan, I thought that that game plan is sustainable. Um, You know, we'll see if Joe Johnson scoring 27 points is sustainable, Uh, but then again, I think for Houston, you know, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is going to have too many more nights where he's shooting 6-21 from the field, and if you... Try to take away Joe Johnson. I mean Joe uh, Joe Ingles. Uh, and you try to take that away, then all of a sudden, Donovan Mitchell has more more of a driving lane to the basket.
0: Yeah, Joe Johnson has not played a huge role in this series. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Did it, I say Joe Johnson once or twice?
0: Twice, twice.
3: Oh Lord, have mercy, Joe Ingles. He, I'm sorry. How
0: dare you disrespect the Jazz's best player like that?
3: I'm so sorry. Why are they
1: underestimating it?
0: No, see, actually, that's a great question. Is like over and over again. I, I thought James Harden just helped off of Joe Ingles in in ways he didn't have to uh, in Game Two. What is it? What is it like? Why Why do teams keep doing this with with jingles?
3: Because he looks like the dude from The Office.
0: Okay.
1: And Toby, I can't put my finger on it, Andy. Why really Why can't they? Office. Yeah.
0: No, I, I like.
3: Looks like Toby from the office. He looks just like Toby from the office. All
0: right, but Tony, you you do you play pickup ball enough to know that that guy showing up to your run, that guy is going to be a killer three point shooter.
3: <laughs> that is true. Um, you know, so let me ask a question. Let, let, yeah. did, did the Rockets underestimate the Jazz last night?
0: I thought so. I thought did they. they yeah. I, I thought in a really big, I think in the biggest way, they underestimated the impact a- and efficiency that the slipping screens over and over and over would have. And honestly, that was something that the Jazz did well in the second half of game one. Uh, and it, for whatever reason, it didn't seem to show up on the top of the, the rocket scouting report like it should. And, and they didn't have an answer for it, certainly not through the first half, and honestly through big parts of the second half, too, like... They, they just missed these communications and and couldn't figure out how to deal with what should be a, a pretty simple action to defend if they if they talk about it uh, I, I get like there's a timing issue there of when to switch and uh, whether or not to but uh, you know I, I think they should have established easy and and hard rules uh, I I That's a weird way to put it, but easy rules to follow and hard and fast rules on uh, when to switch in those kind of situations. And and honestly, they messed it up over and over again, and you saw Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors getting wide-open dunks at the rim and Joe Ingles getting wide-open threes as a result.
3: Well, so, and I agree with everything you said, and everything you said is spot on. So what does Friday tell us? I think Friday is going to tell us whether – whether, you know, what ended up happening was uh, Houston, you know, just taking the second game lightly or if Houston's really in trouble. Because what we're going to see tomorrow night is a Houston team that's going to come out and they're going to play 48 real minutes of basketball. I thought last night they played about 24 real minutes of basketball. And to the Jazz's credit, while they were playing real basketball, um, in the second half, the Jazz were able to still seize control of that game. Um, but they're going to have, you know, a, another day of practice under the belt, a day of film session, and, you know, and they're going to actually listen to DeAntoni when DeAntoni says, yo, you really didn't close out game one well. You really didn't play well. Um, so if the Jazz can weather that and still get, and get a win, um, tomorrow night, then guess what? Houston may really be in trouble here.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. If, and I'm I'm curious to see what they do. What do you, What do you think that they will? What are those adjustments that the the Rockets need to do? Is it is it just communication, or is there other stuff that they can they can do to, to honestly play better on both ends of the floor?
3: Well, it's, it's definitely communication, and you know the thing about it is, you know, is 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 uh, the Rockets. I mean, are the Jazz going to keep making open shots? Because yeah. typically they haven't uh, in this playoff run, but last night they really did, and that's what they needed to do uh, to, to win that game. Uh, and the second thing is, the Jazz aren't going to catch the Rockets sleeping with their pace of play. They only had one quarter last night, uh, which was the third quarter, where they were under 100, where uh, they were under 100 in pace. And I thought that that caught the Rockets off guard. So, um, you know, one thing I think they can do, I think they can prepare a little bit more for, for, for not only Alec Burks, but the small ball lineup in general. I yeah. don't think they will prepare for the small ball lineup. They certainly weren't. They didn't look prepared for it in game one when the Jazz used it to get back into the game, and they certainly weren't prepared for it last night. Uh, so that's the biggest thing they could do is prepare for that. Um, and and I think the second biggest thing they can do is, is, is stop uh, trapping screens, and you know, and, and figure out how to uh, to drop their bigs back in the lane, and and do the, do the things that the Jazz were doing to them, which is invite the Jazz to, to hit the right shots. Now, if they do the if they do try to do that, then what happens? Then Donovan Mitchell has the ball, and he has a lot more space to work with, and then it becomes then it and becomes a game of how how well Donovan Mitchell can put the bas- basketball in the, in the in the hoop.
1: What has made Jay Crowder so effective in this series?
3: Oh well, he's just making shots. You know, with Jay Crowder, you're, he's he's a simplistic player in terms of his make a miss for him, and 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 I say that I say that as a real compliment to him because you know what you're going to get out out of him. He's going to defend. He's going to be irritant. He's going to be tough. He's going to rebound. He's going to do all the little things. What elevates him from, okay, he's effective out there just playing his role to, you know, holy crap, he's really playing well is whether he's making shots. And last night he was making shots. Game one he was making shots. Game five against Oklahoma City he was making shots. Um, When he doesn't make shots, as a credit to him, he can still be effective and he can still be impactful. But when he is making shots, he turns into a really, really, really good role player, and he turns into a a, a, a potentially great three and D guy. All
0: right, uh, we got to go ahead and take a break here, Tony. But thank you so much for joining us here on the Salt City Hoop Show. Uh, let followers know, uh, let our listeners know where we can follow you and, and read your work.
3: You can follow me at Tripjazz. T R I B J A Z Z and Andy and JP. Thank you very much. And Georgetown is better than Syracuse. <laughs> uh,
0: JP, how do you feel about that? I,
1: you know, it's okay. It's a typical uh, Georgetown fan move. I'm classier than that.
3: <laughs> Just hang up on me now. <laughs> All right, Tony, we'll
0: see you tomorrow at around. Have a good one.
3: See you tomorrow. Later.
0: Bye. All right, that's Tony Jones of the Solid Tribune joining us. We do have to take a break. On the other side, John Stockton was a, was a guest Who's on that? the Dan Patrick Show. Yeah, John, you may have heard of him. Uh, legendary jazz point guard John Stockton uh, was on the uh, the Dan Patrick show earlier today talking about Donovan Mitchell and this Utah jazz run you'll clearly want to hear what John had to say about the jazz rookie sensation that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop show here on ESPN 700
4: Home of the best Utah jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
0: I'm Andy Larson with JP Chunga. Following up game two of Jazz Rockets leading into game three tomorrow night in Vivint Arena tell you what there's a huge difference between jazz fans and rockets fans
1: you mentioned this on gunther and ben
0: rockets fan that was uh, that was probably the worst playoff crowd i've been to um it was half empty at tip off at 7 10 your game was tipping it you know announced tip at seven and just like every game you know ever right now 2018 it was delayed by 10 15 minutes but it was it was half empty, uh, and I get it. I guess Houston has traffic problems, but
1: it's the fourth largest city in in America. Sure, Andy. What uh, traffic?
0: Uh, to me, that should mean there's an abundance of people who can get to the game on time.
1: Texas, it's spread out. People are coming from all leave sorts work of early. Things. This is a seven o'clock tip. Yes, locally. Yes. Yeah. Very you, reasonable. You got to get home. You, no, you don't. Some, go straight from work. Some people are they, riding they, horses? No no one was riding a horse to the game. Some people are coming in uh, off the farm, you off go the straight ranch from
0: work to the game cuz they're even giving you your your shirt. You don't need to bring a jersey or anything. Like you don't need to stop at home. You can buy food at the game. There's no reason a playoff crowd should be half empty and as quiet as it was last night in Game Two, and honestly, I thought the Rockets could have used their crowd a little bit because you you go on that burst in the third quarter, and and the crowd was still iffy then. But then, yeah, the Jazz respond with that early fourth quarter run, put you down to four, six points. That's when you need your crowd to kind of push you back into the game, uh, you know, maybe force turnovers, force miscommunications, whatever it is. And the Rockets crowd just wasn't there. Honestly, it, it seemed like they were disinterested to be there. It felt like a very corporate oil money kind of crowd, or at least that's what the that's what Rockets fans tell me when I ask about why the crowd was so bad.
1: You said it's all oil money.
0: Yeah, it's they're they're frustrated because those for those lower bowl tickets average five hundred to six hundred dollars mm. each in the for the playoffs, and that's not you know I a regular fan can can justify a splurge of like a two hundred dollar lower bowl ticket. I don't think you can justify that that price of $500, 600 especially not for season tickets, which is you know what sets you up to buy playoff tickets and everything else. I thought it was bad. Um, before we get into John Stockton, I've got a quick question on Twitter uh, that I want to get to. Cy, uh, Ball is Life, asks, was a Jazz transition attack in Game 2 a fluke, or can they replicate that in Game 3? Do you think Houston will prioritize transition defense after seeing what Burks did in Game 2?
1: I mean, they have to. The, yeah, they if have. you're Houston, but um, you said it, it. it is it is replicable. the The pace that they played at, the fact that this is something that they really want to do because Houston, in in a similar way to OKC, wants to go ISO, but they are obviously way better at it offensively and uh, being effective in the half court. They can do that.
0: I also think, like, you know, obviously that was a faster-paced game than we expected, but maybe that, you know, the the Jazz did commit a lot of turnovers. There were a lot of fouls. That shortens possessions. Jazz only had 10 fast break points. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a good number for them, but it's not world-changing, you know? Like, that's—if the Rockets cut that ten point ten fast break points to four or six, does that— obviously that hurts the jazz by four or six points, but it's not a a huge deal, you know it's I don't I don't think that was the key to the jazz's offensive success last night. I thought it was actually breaking down the Rockets in the half court that caused uh the most obvious Houston breakdowns
1: well and I mean Donovan being the the hub of breaking right. them down in the half court uh this was noticed by Kobe in that detail piece um Clint Capella in transition not looking yeah, not good not looking at. <laughs> At the uh, at the ball handler, and um, Kobe picked up on it. How Trevor Ariza was sort of po'd that Clint Capella didn't notice that because it's something that has been a chronic problem with Capella. Yeah,
0: it was, he was he was screening his own man, which is obviously something that the Jazz are a big fan of. Let's get into this Dan Patrick quote. John Stockton came into the Dan Patrick show this morning, uh, talking about the Utah Jazz and their run. Obviously, the surprising game to win last night. Uh, and he was the best part of the the interview was when he was asked about Donovan Mitchell. Let's go ahead and play that quote.
4: The kid is really special. He's special in his demeanor. He's special in his comments for a guy his age. He's special in his his play and his confidence and his memory. His lack of memory, I guess, when things aren't so, don't go so great. I just uh, when did I start noticing it? Probably about two months after people started saying it.
0: John Stockton is slow to notice things.
1: I know. <laughs> Tells you how, how much he was paying attention to the team. But that being said, that's his son, his son wasn't signed. That's true. <laughs> I mean, all right. So apparently so
0: if we give him two months, it's probably after <laughs> he should have noticed, right? Like let's say let's say December. people started talking about him in December, the forty-one point game. Let's say uh John Stockton noticed in February. David Stockton wasn't signed until end of March. So we'll give John Stockton credit that maybe he paid attention to the Utah Jazz before uh his son was literally on the team but honestly carl malone has said the same kind of thing right i mean when he was across the street here at gracie's he said the same thing that I, i'm not usually a jazz basketball watcher i didn't make it an appointment television to to go out and watch this jazz team play and donovan mitchell and and this team in particular has changed that and i think it's changed that for a lot of jazz fans
1: and how many times are there on national tv for these guys right. to to see them in the bright lights i mean sure They have league pass. Do they?
0: Uh, That's a good question. Do John Stockton and Carl Malone, they can afford league pass. Do they have league pass?
1: I think Carl does.
0: You don't think Carl does? I think Carl does. Do you think John does?
1: I think John does. John is also a a big college basketball fan. So that also obviously diverts his attention from the professional game for until obviously March. And maybe
0: John does because he was at Milwaukee Bucks training camp uh, for a couple weeks. Maybe... I think actually only a couple days this preseason kind of working with their point guards a little bit. Um maybe he wants to see the, the fruits of his labor when he, you know, sees Maddie Delavadova and uh I mean they he didn't work with Eric Bledsoe at all, but you know, anyway. Uh Drew Bledsoe.
1: Or Drew Bledsoe. Didn't work with either either of those guys. Terry Rozier wearing the Drew Bledsoe. Seriously. Speaking of
0: which, uh Terry Rozier is killing it right now in this uh Philadelphia-Boston Celtics game. Philadelphia was up 20 uh, late in the second quarter, and Boston just won it on an 18-3 to run to cut the Sixers' lead to just five. It's now 56-51 at halftime.
1: The biggest fraud uh, about uh, college basketball is when you ask these coaches, hey, you know, what do you think about the pro prospects of this guys?" And Rick Pitino, uh, he said Donovan Mitchell need another year. He said the same thing about Terry Rozier. So I mean the biggest fraud of college basketball is going to these coaches and asking them, Hey, do you want to lose a player? Of course they don't.
0: That uh, no, the, the fraud is the coach's answer. Like also I, I'm true. I'm fine with asking the coaches the obvious question and to see like because you asked John Calipari and they're like, nah, that guy should go- probably leave. Like see, but he, he's he, upfront. He right. And and that's what people like about John Calipari. Anyway, or at least the players do. <laughs> we gotta take a break on the Salt City Hoop show. Dan Clayton joining us on the other side. Again, this is Salt City Hoop.
4: Home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN Seven Hundred.
0: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop show, Andy Larson, JP Chungo, with you. I'm the Salt. I'm the uh, managing editor for SaltCityHoops.com, the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. JP is the producer of Gunther and Ben every weekday afternoon here from two to six. Uh, let's go ahead and welcome in our next guest, Dan Clayton. He's the associate editor at SaltCityHoops.com. Uh, one of the best jazz basketball minds you can follow. Uh, Dan, how are you doing?
2: That is a tough bar to live up to, um, but thanks for having me, guys. Um, get to talk about playoff basketball.
0: Yeah, right. It, like, actually, I was talking about this with a friend today. This is the first time. Uh, I you know it's it's the first time in a decade that the Jazz have won a Western Conference semifinals game. I mean this is yeah. this is actually like a pretty special time to follow this team.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and not only I, I I mean I just think that the personalities, the storylines, obviously the arc of the season, um I think this is one of the most entertaining Jazz seasons, Jazz teams, you know, iterations of the Jazz. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe since Stockton and Malone, I, you know, um, obviously the the Boozer and D Will and and Memo and AK years were really fun too. But this this team has kind of come out of out of nowhere, and all of a sudden is, um, you know, really tough for just about anybody to beat, including last night the Houston Rockets, the best team in the NBA.
0: Let me ask, what were you most impressed about at game two?
2: Uh, yeah, well. I, I mean, outside of, like, the basketball mechanics answer, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit, I just thought the fact that Houston came back the way they did, um, you know, from, from 17 down or 19 down or whatever it was, that Houston came all the way back, took the lead, and at that point, I think, you know, any basketball psychologist would say, oh, all right, they, you know, they broke the Jazz's serve, as it were, to mix my sports metaphors, yeah. um, and just the fact that the Jazz were able to fight through that and, and make a run, even after Houston kind of erased all that early hard work they did to build the double-digit lead, that was the the most impressive thing from just a, a mindset standpoint. It,
0: it was a little bit like Game 2 of the Thunder series where the Jazz kind of did the same thing, right? Like, had the 10-point lead, lost it with that big 19-0 Thunder run, and then, you know, immediately just kind of started getting back to work and, and doing good things. That game, it was more Donovan Mitchell. This game, it was about the Jazz exploiting... All the pressure that Donovan Mitchell was was getting, and and finding open shots for for his teammates, whether that be Joe Ingles on those threes, or uh, you know Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert at the rim.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, th- that's where Ricky Rubio's absence has changed the complexion of this series, and and Houston knows, um, well, or at least Houston theorizes <laughs> that based on Ricky Rubio's absence, all they really need to do is is kind of choke the opportunities that Donovan Mitchell gets. And so that's what they're doubling down on. And, and the fact that the Jazz, and, and to his credit, Donovan Mitchell himself, I mean, the rookie made a lot of good reads last night, recognizing kind of what was happening and, and where he could get rid of the ball. And, you know, while it was disappointing to see that historic streak, um, I don't know if you guys saw my tweet that he was the first guy since 1972, the first rookie since 1972, um, to have seven straight playoff games over 20 points. So, okay, that streak died. But you know what? 17 and 11 assists is still a pretty special night, and the fact that he was able to do it while kind of carving up the defense and, and just reading what was happening and um, and kind of using Houston's strategy against them was, was a really heady game for the Rook.
1: I enjoyed this question phrase from Andy earlier in the show to me did the result in game two and the way that it happened surprise you the way it happened?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, not to say that I didn't think the jazz, um, the, the jazz could compete and, and even, you know, potentially win game two. Um, I think game one for me had a lot of the feel of the OKC game one back to Andy's point about, um, you know, the parallels between the two series. Um, You know, Game one of the OKC series, the Jazz lost, and it wasn't particularly close down the stretch, but you also got the sense after that game that the Jazz just hadn't played their best game. They weren't themselves. They didn't execute their strategy the right way. They made a lot of mental mistakes on defense and offense, and that's kind of how I felt after game one of the Houston series. Um, Yeah, Houston had won kind of going away, but it also felt like um, the Jazz had shot themselves in the foot in ways that if they cleaned them up, that game 2 would be a lot more a lot more closely contested. But to answer your question JP, uh, like I say, I think what surprised me is is the fact that they came out, they gave Houston their best shot. Houston fought back and gave the Jazz their best shot, and all of a sudden it was it was the Jazz looking up at Houston on the scoreboard and to still find a way to overcome that, I think is is really special for a team that has you know, a fraction of the playoff experience when you think of of career games played in the postseason on on those two rosters.
0: Okay, I want to get into the game mechanics uh, of what happened in Game 2, and then we can kind of talk about what adjustments to expect from Houston in Game 3. Uh, but we've talked about it on the show so far. The Jazz did a lot of slipping screens to try to confuse Houston's switching defense, Um, not making contact on screens, going up and and pretending to set a screen, and then immediately diving to the rim or cutting out to the three-point line. Uh, And then the Jazz kind of took advantage of that confusion to generate some open shots, whether that be by Donovan Mitchell passing out to the corner or finding those guys open underneath, uh, underneath the basket, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. Um, was there something else offensively, uh, offensively you liked from a mechanics point of view that the Jazz did?
2: Yeah, one other perhaps subtle thing that they did on on a few plays. They didn't do it universally because sometimes you you roll to the space that's available. But one thing that I that I liked that they were doing with Rudy in particular is they had him run a they they had him diving on a on a slightly different angle. So instead of going down the middle of the paint, he was kind of um, on a high wire on that on that left line of the free throw uh, of the paint area. Okay. And what that does is that's, that's too far for Chris Paul to come over. So in Game 1, we saw a lot of plays where Rudy got that pass on the short roll, but Chris Paul knew it was coming, and, and Chris Paul has largely been guarding um, Royce O'Neal over in the weak side corner. They've planted him on Royce O'Neal, specifically because Royce isn't a, as big of an offensive threat. So that allows Chris Paul to roam and to get his hands in the passing lanes. And, you know, he gave Rudy some problems with that in game one, where he would go in and get his hand in the cookie jar and come out with the basketball or or at least, you know, force Rudy into, a, a, you know, a quick bad decision. So I like the fact that they have him running a, a, a little tighter angle on that pick-and-roll, so that then, you know, Chris Paul can't really come over. You, know, you know, in basketball, they talk about, about the help line, which is this imaginary dotted line down the middle of the key. Mm-hmm. That's as far as you're supposed to come over as the weak side defender to help. So by Rudy rolling down the left side of the lane or, or you know, whichever side they ran the pick-and-roll to, it's, most of the time it would be the left side. A couple times it was the right side. But that just kept Chris Paul from being able to get in that passing lane and gave Rudy uh, you know, some more looks at the rim. All five of his field goals made, speaking of Rudy Gobert, were dunks. So obviously they, they just were getting him freed up in ways that didn't happen in game one.
0: So then I guess we'll, we'll talk about the defensive side in, in a second, but if you're Houston, what do you do to, to adjust to those things?
2: Well, you know, I think to the slipping to, to the slipping of the pick, you can do one of two things. You can um, you can stop switching screens, and then and then the jazz will stop slipping picks because that's just gonna that's gonna change the um, you know that's gonna change the way the jazz want to attack what the what the rockets are doing. So you could stop switching and and go into kind of a more traditional defense where you either hedge a little on the pick and roll, you know, bring the big up kind of high to slow the ball or you could drop the big back and and stop the you know stop the drive which is what they'd probably do if it was someone like donovan mitchell with the ball um but but i kind of don't think they'll do that I, i think they'll keep switching because the other alternative is you can keep switching um you can anticipate that that slipped screen and the rudy or the Derek favors coming down the lane early and you can just help differently on the backside. And what that does is that forces you know, the Royce O'Neills of the world or Dante Exum when he's parked in the corner, um, Jay Crowder, it forces other guys to beat you with that shot. And I think if I'm Houston and I'm playing the numbers, that's, that's probably what I'm going to gamble on is you know, Dante Exum beating me from the corner. And I know he made two of those shots last night. But, uh, and and hey, how exciting was Dante Exum's game? Um, that was really...
1: Oh, we'll talk about you know,
2: it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's probably what Houston will do. I think we'll just see more help coming um, from a third defender somewhere to stop that that slipped pick and roll.
1: Well, you mentioned how, how Dante got those wide-open looks for him, but another person who's finding himself open, it's Joe Ingles. How is he still flying under the radar and getting these opportunities uh, to have a big night like he had in game two.
2: Uh, I, I, that's like the mystery of the <laughs> 2017-18 NBA It's the Thunder and
1: I, I, the Rockets, too.
2: I know. I know. Well, and, and all through the regular season, people were leaving him open. Um,
0: Warriors did. Know, and I, it's, it's weird. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, I, I do think that Joe Ingles is respected. You can tell that he's respected from the way that teams play him you know, on off the ball actions, on pin downs, they'll, they'll top lock in and stuff like that. So like, I don't think it's a lack of respect. I just think that then when stuff happens on the ball, people kind of prioritize mentally and they're like, Oh crap, we got to go stop Donovan Mitchell who has the ball and is attacking the paint at the 45. And you know, you just, at that point, you're just triaging mentally, right? Like you're just, Let's worry about stopping Donovan Mitchell first and worry about everything else second. I, I, I think that's it, because that's the only explanation I can come up with for why you'd leave a guy who makes 44% of his threes wide open from the angle three.
0: Uh, let's talk about Dante Exum, as as okay. we all want to talk about. You were you are the guy, maybe from the beginning, who was calling for the Dante Exum game. Uh, I don't know that that was it from an offensive point of view, but defensively, uh, was uh, it was honestly an incredible performance? I don't know that anyone in the NBA has played Dante X or has played James Harden that well uh, this season.
2: Yeah, for real. And, and I think you know you're right about the way I've described the the mythical, the um, ephemeral Dante Exum game, um, the enigmatic, the the whatever. Um, I I have described it mostly on on offensive terms, meaning I would love to see the game where he just realizes that he can get where he wants to get with the basketball, and and we've seen that in spurts since he's been back from injury. Um, but, But I think last night was a pretty dang close equivalent of that on defense, meaning it was a night that he realized that he could control the game with his length and his lateral movement. And I think that's really important for Dante. I think he needs to go into this summer just understanding again what he can do to impact basketball games. And, you know, obviously some of that is going to come with his speed with the basketball, but the fact that he can turn a game um, on defense is, is really unique and, and, frankly, something that, you know, he can do any night. He doesn't always do. In fact, I was um, just looking at some clips comparing game one and game two for something I may or may not get around to writing <laughs> tonight for Salt City Hoops. Um, like you know, he along with the other guards, he had a bad night in Game One defensively, where he wasn't getting through screens. He was getting beat off the dribble without a screen. Like th- those are kinds of th- those are death sentences for a defense. If you know your whole scheme defensively is planned around what are we going to do on a pick, but if a, if James Harden or Chris Paul can just beat you without a screen even coming, then the, you know there's nothing. No amount of Rudy Gobert greatness can just e- can just wipe that away. So, um, you know, he needed to show up and he needed to play better and I really think he did that. And uh, you know, I've got some examples that hopefully will be up at some point tonight on Salt City Hoops.
0: Okay. How about uh his backcourt benchmate, Alec Burks? Uh I think that is the defining Alec Burks game of, of his seven year NBA career. Um, you know, certainly he's, he's scored more points in, in regular season games, but just in terms of what he did, I, I thought it was incredible how often he was even making the right decision on offense, which is something we we don't see a lot.
2: Yeah, and mostly attacking early. So yeah. that's the thing is, is Burks. I, I still don't think Burks is necessarily the guy that you want um, generating a huge chunk of your half-court offense, but the Jazz had him really attacking early when, when Houston wasn't set yet, and a lot of that came from the... The misses that they were able to force with their good defense, because really the Jazz didn't force a lot of turnovers. I, I think Houston had single-digit turnovers in that game. Um, but Utah was getting out and running and, and attacking Houston a little off-balance in, in transition and secondary transition, and I think that's where Alex can be successful. I think that's a little bit of a template for him. Uh, and then, yeah, to your point, the fact that he was able to not just go and get his in those situations, but also see how guys were adjusting to him see how the pressure that he was putting on the defense was creating open looks for other people, uh, you know, that's a big step for him, too. And the the defense was, you know, off and on for Alec last night. There was a play where I think Rudy got a little mad at him. Um, But, you know, by and large, I I think, you know, if you can get 17 from Alec Burks with with a handful of assists and, you know, mostly passable defense, uh, that's obviously a win, and it was obviously huge for the Jazz to get that from him last night.
1: What worked well for the Jazz defensively, moving there, uh, the way that they were able to push Houston off the three-point line? What was working there?
2: You know, again, I I really think um, scheme-wise, JP, I don't think they changed much of anything. Um, I think it was mostly about executing their game plan better, and, and that's why I go back to, you know, OKC series, Game 1 to Game 2, being a lot like this series, Game 1 to Game 2, um, the, the Jazz guards really put Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors in a lot of crummy situations in Game 1, where, you know, if I, if I die on a pick, if I don't get back in the play after a pick is set out of the three-point line, then Rudy's got to guard two guys, and Rudy is one of the best guys in the NBA at guarding two guys, but you can, and, and you can get away with that, you know, as the ball's starting to come down the paint. But once James Harden or Chris Paul has the ball and they're eight feet from the hoop and I'm still trying to guard two guys, that's just impossible. And Clint Capella got a ton of easy looks off of that, as did, you know, part, uh, Harden and Paul themselves. So, you know, that was the big, thing, the big difference I saw last night is just the amount of pride at the point of attack, guys deciding you know what, that might be a, a heck of a screen. And Clint Capella is a really good screen setter. Like, that's an underrated thing that he does. The Jazz, shans, jazz fans should be aware of. But for Exum and Donovan Mitchell and Royce and even Jingles to say, you know what, I'm not going to let Clint Capella take me out of the play. I'm going to bounce off that pick or roll around it, or I'm going to, you know, just for them to, to fight their way back in front and get back in, into the play um, is what allows the Jazz to contain the pick-and-roll without bringing other guys in to contain the pick-and-roll. like That's why the Jazz's defense is so great. They can guard the pick-and-roll with two guys, because that's how good Rudy Gobert is. If the guard gives Rudy a chance to to do it, they can guard the pick-and-roll with two guys, and then the other people don't have to leave shooters. And I think that's what they've been successful at all year, and it's what they got back to last night. And there are still times where you'll say, like, hey, we'd rather let P.J. Tucker shoot an open three than let James Harden get to the rim. But, you know, from game one to game two, Harden went from 15 uncontested shots to five uncontested shots. So it's about, you know, how can they do their job on Harden and make other people beat them, I think.
0: Dan, uh, we'll let you go after this question. What uh, What do you expect in game three?
2: Uh, I expect it to be really close the whole way. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think Houston's going to be taken by surprise this time. Okay. They'll know what to expect from Exum. They'll, they'll have some counters in place. They'll do what they did in the fourth quarter and run a bunch of picks to get Exum off of Harden and, and Royce O'Neill off of Harden. Um, I, I, think, I think the Jazz are going to have their hands full, but with the home crowd, I think it'll be close, and the Jazz will have a chance to win.
0: Yeah. I, and that's, you know, against the number one team in the NBA, uh tied one one in a series, I think that's what you ask for is uh you know, the Jazz to stay competitive throughout. If they play like they did in game two, I think they can have some chances. Honestly, I think there are some things that they can do better in game three, whether it not turn over the ball seventeen times, uh oh, you know sure. losing the turnover differential by ten points losing the offensive rebound differential by six offensive rebounds, uh, some of the foul things, obviously, at the end of the first half, some of those things can be cleaned up, and I think that's that's kind of an exciting thing for Jazz fans is that this team actually still can play better than what they did in Game 2.
2: And, and by the way, there's still no Ricky Rubio, which I know he's <laughs> right. been ruled out for Game 3, but like this is what they're getting with without the guy that Doc Rivers called the head of the snake. And I know Jazz fans like to think that Donovan Mitchell runs the, you know, is the is the offensive motor, and he really does take a lot of pressure off of it. But so much of what they get working on the offensive end comes down to, you know, how rookie is able to smartly put pressure on the defense and then see what's happening. Um, and so, if at some point in the series they get that back, and I'm not sure if they will, but it, but if that happens, um, then yeah, there's there's still actually room for growth for the Jazz.
1: Agreed. All
0: right, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, you can follow Dan Clayton at Dan Clayton, all one word, but replace that zero or replace that O in Clayton oh, zero. with a zero to follow Dan on Twitter. And of course, you can read his good work on saltcityhoops.com, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Again, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, guys. What was your favorite thing Dan said? Favorite? I always love talking to Dan on the show because he, he does know basketball and we can kind of get into the X's and O's and, and back and forth of the game. I thought that point he made about Rudy Gobert rolling to the strong side of the hoop, uh, left side, if you're running a pick and roll on the left side, right side on the right side, that way you can't help all the way over from the weak side was was really good.
1: Yeah, the angle at which which Rudy was rolling the basket was good. Um, I I liked his breakdown of the way that they're playing defensively, having to only, I I mean, at their max, they get to, um, if the point guard lets them, defend with two, uh, Dan is good Dan's good Dan's good Dan is w- good What am I saying that, that is shocking anyone Dan Dan has a lot of knowledge uh, We've got a question from
0: Patrick Reimer At Patch underscore UT Asking will the Utah Jazz ever bring black bring back the blimp I did not know that there were a uh, I guess there's only one fan out there Maybe there are a whole consortium of fans I'm in this camp for the blimp Uh, you're, you're pro blimp inside of Vivin Arena.
1: So pro blimp inside Vivin Smart Home Arena. Because here's the deal. When I, when I was going to games, uh, I didn't have the best seats. I wasn't all the way at the front. So what would I look for? The freebies. And sometimes that blimp was the way that you get the freebies and, and the, uh, nice gift card to mcdonald's or someplace i don't know biscuit
0: because to me that that blimp first of all mcdonald's biscuit don't they all i
1: I don't know what they sell mcdonald's uh (laughs) a different tax bracket now
0: (laughs) wow too good for mcdonald's that that oil money coming through oh yeah um first of all if you're in the back 10 15 rows you don't have a chance at getting anything from the blimp because there was a ceiling at the arena that the blimp can't fly over right like you you just can't get anything because of the airspace limitations.
1: But it would go to the second second go level. Go to the
0: upper bowl, and yeah. you you might get something if you're in the first five rows. Rows, but as a former season ticket holder in row ten of the upper bowl, I can tell you the blimp wasn't for me, <laughs> uh, and that is so. I, I think you're you're overstating the benefits for the. Truly cheap jazz fans out there.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I'm overstating it because it had what six giveaways, and inside a 19,000 arena, yeah. only six also people that. go away happy. <laughs> so that yes. yeah, but I like I like the uh, the aspect of it going around slowly. It, it usually happened um, half-time. at halftime. Sure. Yeah. That was a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it's something to do at halftime, I guess. But...
1: Especially when they don't have a great halftime entertainment guest.
0: Which is frequently. Blimp uh, doesn't. There was Red Panda last night in Houston, and oh. I'll give Houston credit for that. Wow. Uh, Red Panda is still the greatest of all time. Halftime act. Um, she's still flipping bowls on her head right the unicycle um, in in a magical, magical way.
1: I still I enjoy any magic act. I, I'm a sucker okay. for for the magic. They did that for what game three game game three of the Thunder series. I thought that was really bad. Really, yeah. See, I was getting my ear chewed off by Gordy Chiesa, ah. our good friend. Yeah. Um, and I was saying, Gordy, let me watch the magic. I want I want to judge the magic. But um, I love a good. I'm a sucker for a good magic because he sawed her in half. He sawed the woman in half. That I saw that out of the glancing look of my eye
0: you got to come up with a new trick, magicians. No,
1: it's that, always awesome. That's
0: that's the given one magic trick. I don't know.
1: Give me a wiggling wiggling legs, uh, a, a perk up of the head, while he shows, look. Yep,
0: uh, she was odd in half. Yeah. But not really. I saw
1: her in half. He saw her in half. He didn't, though. They're illusions. Why she's alive. Illusions, Andy.
0: All right, we're going to take a break. Trick, sir. Talk about JP's uh poor magic choices coming up we've got more questions of yours on twitter and of course we do want to preview game three of jazz rockets coming up here on the salt city hoop show on espn 700
4: You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
0: Welcome into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson and JP Chunga back with you. I'm the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. JP is the producer of the Gunther and Ben show every weekday afternoon here from two to six p.m. on ESPN 700. Uh, so we've we've got obviously the Jazz Rockets. Game yesterday, Jazz winning 116 108 Game three coming up tomorrow. The Jazz will be wearing their city uniforms in Salt Lake City, giving out the T-shirts of red, yellow, orange. Beautiful court, beautiful fan Amazing engagement court. Uh, were you at game three? And, and yeah, that was, that was so good. Like honestly, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever witnessed. It is it, uh, not just basketball. Yeah, anything in, in Andy?
1: at all. Yeah, you're underselling other parts of your life, but still. Um, yeah, I love a good arch on a on a court.
0: No, just like the the fans and the colors yeah. and the the jazz wind was was beauty to my eyes. It uh-huh. was honestly from like a basketball experience. I don't know that that was that was maybe the best basketball two and a half hour experience of my life. And, like, I, I think there have been closer games, certainly. There have been, been more, you know, there have been buzzer beaters, and I've been to a lot of those games. But just two and a half hours where the fans brought it for that period of time and with that much energy and behind a team that was playing that well, with the the visual aspect as well, I I just think basically you should spend whatever it takes to get to this game three.
1: But we already talked about this on the Bill Riley show some people need to wear the shirt that is provided even though yeah they didn't I mean uh, you gotta look at shirt. you John yeah <laughs> John
0: Stockton did not wear his shirt in game three that he was given Jerry
1: uh, wore his Jerry
0: wore his in game four right did not in game three
1: and game six
0: and game six so Jerry I love Jay J- slow doing good things out there
1: he is wearing the shirt. Yeah, I, I want to see John in the shirt. I want to see John okay. in in the... He can be a fan. His dad's on the team. His son's, kid's on the team. son's on the, on the I team. I hope his dad's
0: not on the team. It's not good.
1: Uh, Questionable uh, <laughs> signing by Dennis Lindsay.
0: <laughs> Yikes. It's not great. Uh, rest in peace, Jack, by the way. Uh, died a couple years ago. Uh, we, we do have a question on Twitter. Yeah. Um, one from at bebop if the jazz take them to seven are they contenders i don't know what that means um like i guess if the jazz take them to seven and lose then i guess they're not really championship contenders because they didn't make it out of the second round right like that's that's different but like if you if you end up taking them to seven and lose and you you're you're maybe the team that gives the rockets the biggest challenge then i think that that means a lot I think that the this Rockets team, if they do win in round two, is going to really struggle with the Warriors in game three in in round three. And I think uh, they've they've shown some weaknesses that the Warriors can really take advantage of and and make it to the finals.
1: I I'll broaden that question out. I mean, where does this team stack out in the West? I think it's up there towards the top half rather than the bottom half. Sure. Um, probably around 3-4, best team in the West uh, comparatively to the other clubs, especially since finally you got to see how this team would operate with Rudy Gobert. Um, this team definitely, I mean, Ben kind of really put it pretty aptly where, where he said they're in between the contender-pretender, mm-hmm. right? They're right in that, that middle spot, not as good as the Warriors-Rockets, Ahead of these teams that they're stacked up against, and I think trajectory
0: matters there too, right? Like, <laughs> if you were the Clippers and you win 50 games every yeah. year, you know the the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan Clippers, and you you win 50 games every year, you never make it past the second round, you don't show any year to year growth, you you don't you're in the cap situation where you can't add anything to your team, then that is that's that's NBA purgatory. You know, it's a, it's a good version of NBA purgatory, but it's you're clearly not challenging the best teams. Uh, but because the Jazz are on their way up with with a lot of young talent, they still have the flexibility to do things. Not so much this summer, but in the summer of twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, uh, then you actually have some real opportunities to become real, true contender status. And then, of course, you know it depends what the Warriors do, as well as you know how long this Rockets core stays together, or you know how long Chris Paul stays. Uh, you know, one of the top fifteen or so players in the league,
1: and how much you can add to this team because you have decisions to make this offseason you have things things to worry about with Derek Favors with Dante Exum with uh, Alec Burks with all sorts of areas with this team how can this team grow uh, beyond just being a playoff team for the next 10 years can they keep getting those extra rounds can they move up the playoff ladder and go go forward that way
0: uh thanks bebop for the question if you guys want to send in questions on twitter you can tweet us at andy b larson or at jp underscore chunga not a question but i want to appreciate riley o'brien for saying some nice things saying, love the Salt City Hoop Show. Told He actually DM'd Dan Clayton and told him how much he enjoyed that last segment. I really did enjoy that as well. If you missed any of the Dan Clayton interview or interview with Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune or any of the rest of the Salt City Hoop Show, the show is uploaded as a podcast later on tonight. Uh, so you can actually follow us on the Salt City Hoop Show as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, listen to us there if you miss any any part of the Salt City Hoop Show or want to listen to past or future episodes there. Uh, I, I want to talk about these other series really quick. Right now, we've got a good close one in Boston. Philadelphia trails the Boston Celtics 86-85. The Sixers had a 20-point lead in the first half. Uh, the the Celtics went on an immediate 18-3 run to end the second half, cutting the lead to five. Uh, immediately started the second half on a run as well, getting the lead, getting it up to six at one point but uh, Philadelphia has been able to to hang in there a little bit, especially attacking the Boston bench, obviously a, a little bit weaker than it, it has been with some of the injuries that the Celtics are facing. Um, but, you know, the Celtics going up 2-0, if, if that happens in a series against a full-strength Philadelphia team, while they they themselves are at, you know, somewhere near three-quarters half-strength without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, that's, that's some really impressive stuff.
1: Especially the way that they were able to do it the uh, the first game because... Um, Why did you say that? Because the Celtics went seven games in a slugout sure. with, with the Bucs, having to deal with the fact that 7600 had already finished their se- series against the Heat three days earlier, I believe. And yet Brad Stevens is able to get this team to go and operate at, at the level where they're beating the team with the better best two three players on the floor?
0: Yeah, I mean, we might be it's, learning enough about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and, and honestly Al Horford true. that yeah, those right. guys might be, you know, we obviously Embiid and Simmons are, are great players, but uh, they may be better than, than Ben Simmons is right now. Ben Simmons, I think his lack of shooting is getting a little bit exposed in this series. Uh, and especially tonight, if I pull it up his box score really quick, I was looking at it earlier, but right now Ben Simmons, O of two from the field for one point. 5 no assists, take. 4 rebounds. Is that's
1: not a weapon. I know, I agree. I have no take it's on this game. a minus -16. I haven't watched this game. That's fair. I don't know this game yet. It's on the old DVR. Yeah, old... You,
0: it's hard to watch a game and do radio at the same time. Yeah,
1: thing. Google Fiber DVR, which is fantastic. It is very
0: good. Oh. Get Google Fiber if you can. <sighs> Are we sponsored by them? We should be sponsored. Oh, like,
1: they they're sponsoring us now because I have the biggest endorsement for them
0: uh Ben Simmons like I said minus 16 TJ McConnell now a plus 18. so uh that's it's not a if you're a Ben Simmons stand out there it's not a good time for you uh at least today isn't if you're Ben Simmons stand for life you you've pretty got a pretty good life of of fandom you know for the next decade and a half
1: KP though needs to update his article comparing Simmons and Mitchell though. Playoffs. Oh, that's true. Kevin Pelton. That's true. Just saying. Kevin Pelton's great. Earlier
0: today, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers continued their complete and and utter domination and and honestly ownership of the Toronto Raptors, winning 128, 110 in Toronto to take a 2 0 series lead. Uh, You know, if this iteration of the Raptors can't beat this iteration of the Cavs in a playoff series, uh the Cap- the raptors I-, I don't even know i don't know that you should disband the franchise but they <laughs> uh, i don't even know what you should happen Le- lebron was obviously excellent 43 points 14 assists 8 rebounds they're having og Adobe guard him and and honestly you know he's he's good defensively for a rookie but is not up to the task and then the jazz or the the cavs got uh, good things from kevin love this game actually 31 points 11 rebounds looked like minnesota kevin love he was a big part of that win as well
1: I don't think you have to disband the the franchise. That's just harsh, yet. but like I know, man, how... I agree. I agree that that the fact that this team would be in this hole and on the verge of getting swapped two years running back to back that's bad. I agree. I agree. Don't worry, but I I think you still have little things to build on with Delon Wright, Jakob Purtle, who who hasn't been playing great. These two guys. Van Vleet also developing those guys that you have coming off the bench that can, that lead your bench mob, um, developing into bigger contributors and getting more development out of them. That can only help you going forward. And this is though very bad that that they had to wheeze their way past the Wizards, and are now down o two. Can I caps. tell
0: you about the uh, Raptors' defensive rating in this game? Go ahead. A hundred and forty one. Yeah, how do you give up a 141 defensive rating in a in a playoff game? I get LeBron James very good, but like you can give Joe Ingles wide open corner threes every single possession, and that's a what a 135 defensive rating.
1: They you shot, can give. They shot 11 of 26 from three. The Cavs. I mean, this is a bad. That's not that good. This is bad Like for it, them.
0: It, it's not just hot three-point shooting yeah. that, that won the game for, for the Cavs. It's that they were getting into the paint and scoring with ease over and over and over and over and over again. Like, uh, it's just it's it's just not a good look for the, the Raptors. I thought they had figured out some things defensively, trailed off in the second half of the season, but they need better answers against this team.
1: Serge Ibaka hasn't been doing anything for them. No. And that's a worrisome. And that's point. not
0: good, but, like, a, a Demar Derozan, Kyle Lowry, Jonas Valanciunas, core. Even without Serge Ibaka, you've still got a nice bench with C.J. Miles, Fred VanVleet, Jakob, and DeLon. Honestly, have done some nice things in the series. Jakob was uh, uh scored eight points on three for three shooting in 15 minutes. DeLon Wright was two for four with 24 minutes. Like th- that's uh, with four assists, two turnovers. Like that, it's not their fault. They need the Raptors need more from DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry who are a minus 22 and a
1: minus 18 respectively. Again, I I don't have a huge take off this game because I wasn't Takes. watching. <laughs> I was still doing radio. I was doing right, uh Gunther and Ben from four to six. I I was
0: told you were a, a take artist. I am
1: okay. a take artist, but when I see things, no, that's fair. when I have I, have things to I go I appreciate off your
0: integrity. Of, yeah,
1: I'm not going to just take to take. No, I have integrity behind my opinions when I opine.
0: All right, well, I will ask you to give your opinion on game three of Jazz Rockets coming up next after this break here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700.
1: That I can do.
4: She packed my bags last night, free flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m.
3: And I'm going to be
2: high as a kite by then.
4: Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
0: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Both JP and I are big Elton John fans, so, uh, you know, that the show, the song choice made a lot of sense for for what, who, and
1: what we are. I'm a Rocket Man,
0: <laughs> and, and especially that. Are you are you a Rocket fan?
1: No. Okay. Just checking. I'm just a Rocket Man. Okay. I'm the Rocket Man.
0: I, I actually, speaking of Rocket Man, I really wanted to go to the space center in Houston. Oh yeah. Uh, it's about thirty miles away and it's only open from ten AM to five PM, so because when practices and shoot arounds happen, it didn't end up happening. Mm. Uh, very sad. Uh also apparently like you just go on an hour and a half tram ride, and it's actually not that like cool of an of an experience. But anyway. I went um, as
1: a elementary school trip. As a youngin'? Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. In Houston? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I liked. I mean, it, we went Dallas, Houston. We went them all. Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, tour day, uh, Texas. I remember going to the Book Depository. All right, was a lot of yep. fun. Obviously, you you made that trip. Went there about a month ago. Uh, yeah, um, that's always fun seeing seeing Dealey Plaza, and then especially for elementary school kids, I got to think that they're just oh think it's a blast. I mean, I was poor word choice there. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I've killed JP. Whoa. Well President was killed too, so think about that. Yeah. Um I I I enjoyed history. So I enjoyed uh those trips. And I enjoyed Texas history, which is American history, and it's it's history of the United States times ten when you're talking about Texas, because that was its own country. And don't you forget So about it, it.
0: then it's not American history, it was its it's Texas history, it's, it's both. It's, it, it is both. It's not American history <laughs> times 10 though. Don't go too far. It is. It's, it's a part of American history. Texas a... is a normal state. Texas is Texas thinks it's all that and it's not. It's fine. It's like it's a good state.
1: Uh, the capital in Texas is bigger than your dinky capital sure. in DC.
0: Sure, whatever. Anyway, we got to talk. We've got uh, I've got to answer this question by Riley O'Brien and then we got to get the series or the, I guess the game 3 prediction uh for Jazz Rockets tomorrow night. Riley O'Brien asks if the 2017 NBA draft was redone tomorrow, who do you guys think are the top 5 picks with the same teams picking in the same spots and in what o- order? Uh so the question is do you go Donovan Mitchell number 1? Presumably yes.
1: Yeah, it's it's Mitchell 1 and then Tatum. Jason Tatum 2. Um but I mean I mean I guess that affects? Yeah. No.
0: I mean do you, yeah. I mean I guess
1: they wouldn't do you think the Lakers would keep a uh, ball too? Uh,
0: I don't. No, I think if you if they were honest and you know going if they didn't know that they had already drafted Lonzo Ball, I think they would draft Jason Tatum, given that Tatum has had the better season. And I think it's fair to say, uh, given that Tatum had had the better rookie season, he will probably have the better
1: career. And then they would, I guess, get Kuz at three. I mean, Kuz uh, at three? No, not Kuz at three. I mean. Uh... Lakers wouldn't get Kuz at three, but uh would Kuz be I, I at don't three? I don't think Kuz is the third pick. No. No,
0: I, I like I, I think Kyle Kuzma had a very good season and still I have a lot of questions about him. Okay. Uh and in particular whether or not he's ever gonna be a plus on the defensive end. And he's still old for a prospect too, right? Like Again, we we I mentioned this on the on the Gunther Ben show earlier. He's ten days younger than Dante Exum, mm-hmm. right? Like I I I think there's there's some stuff there, and he's very good. I think he may end up on like the the Anton Jameson side of things rather than the I, I guess like a Dirk Nowitzki side of things, and 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 that's a forced stretch four comparison, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not similar players, I guess, but I, I I'm worried about Kyle Kuzma's defense in a real way. Okay, uh, I I might actually I like I would draft Laurie Market in still over Kyle Kuzma.
1: Okay, and then is Dennis Smith in the conversation here? In, uh, in the
0: top five? Maybe I, I I don't know, Dennis. Yeah, Dennis Smith is is obviously in there. Uh, I thought Jonathan Isaac's rookie year was actually very good. Um, I I would probably still take Isaac over Smith. Um, I also think you you start looking at guys like, uh honestly, I thought Bam Adebayo had a good season. I, probably not top five. You'd you probably go Lonzo. Uh, Frank had a decent rookie season. Uh, so let's let's do it really quick. Donovan, Tatum, uh, Markkanen, to me, Ball, and Kuzma are your five.
1: Okay. I, I agree with that. I think uh, they're obviously the drop-off at three, yeah. uh, clearly. But um, yeah. That works. Quick prediction time
0: uh, for Game Three tomorrow. Uh, Jazz are playing in their city uniforms. Will be a rocking crowd at, at Vivian Arena. What are you expecting from a game point of view, JP?
1: I'm expecting much of what we saw in Game Two, at least offensively from the Jazz. The fact that they will go faster than than what I expect and what you are traditionally used to uh, with the Jazz, but. I really do expect uh, Mike Dantoni and, and this Rockets team to be really, really coming keyed in and it'll be a much closer game and from the start a much closer game than it was in game two.
0: I think the Jazz will obviously not shoot as well as they did in game two but you're going to see some improvements from Donovan Mitchell shooting you're going to see fewer turnovers from the Utah Jazz you're going to see a better sense of the offensive and defensive glass taking advantage of the Rockets switching on the on the boards as well I think you're going to see the Jazz win that I think uh, the the free throw line battle actually might be won by the Jazz in that game three home situation and that's where the referees really matter and I think the Jazz actually come out with a surprising win that's the Salt City Hoop show on ESPN 700, thank you all for listening have a good one, Andy Larson, JP signing out
4: the Utah college football season is done now the real work begins